Alright fellas, here we go. It's an exciting occasion, it's a rare occasion. We are venturing into uncharted waters here at the Barry Bullock Hour. It's the first Barry Bullock Hour to be recorded remotely across two countries, New Zealand and Australia. Uh, it's, I'm Karen Bullock, I am in Christchurch, New Zealand. And recording live from across the ditch in Melbourne, Australia, we've got the big dog and the C-Mag Attack boys. How are we doing? Doing well. Having a ripper. Well, that's good. It's um, The crazy times in this world continue, um, for better or for worse. But um, look, let's be honest, it's just nice to uh, to see your faces and, and, and have a bit of a chat. Sit back at you, KB. Hmm. What are you um what are you nibbling on? Here's the thing, you know, like I mean, Cal, let's be honest, you're um you're sort of renowned for being a bit of a rogue state during recordings, just standing up and wandering off and doing things. You look like you're having a little uh little snack attack there, a little nibble. Yeah, man. Bagel. You got a bagel. Very nice. That's a when I have bagels it's cream cheese. You look like you've made a sandwich. Yeah, it's a bagel sandwich. It's got halloumi and bagel sandwich. A delicious kind of Sweet potato relish and some cabbage and some lettuce and a little bit of mayonnaise. It's cracking stuff. Clem and I, as of today, have just adopted a dog children's. And we have adopted a small dog. You couldn't very well adopt a big dog, could you? No. He's a Chihuahua cross papillon. He's very small. The more big dogs, the more small dogs, the better. It doesn't matter. <laughs> You and he are probably not going to be like, I don't know, you guys aren't going to immediately click. Don't expect to get on initially with the dog, no. And his name, do you guys want to take a stab in the dark at what his, his so they, they give they give him a name because he was a stray, right? They gave him a name at the at, at the RSPCA. Do you guys want to guess what his name was? Just, you know, out of the many thousands of names that could be. Oh, good grief. I don't know. Um, what did you, what did you say he was? A Chihuahua. He's a Chihuahua what? Papillon, and I'll give you a hint. He's very. Is Papillon French? Uh yeah. So he's very, he's very, very sociable, and he's also not desexed. So he, he's quite enthusiastic about romancing. Casanova. Oh, such a good guess. Such a good guess. Okay, so think though, think like like a title rather than a name. Doctor Casanova. Oh, so good from you, KB. So good from you. So the dog's not called Snail Burrito or something. Champagne Burrito? Huh? Champagne Burrito, also a great, great guess from you, KB. Um, no, his name... Just the the combination of French and Mexican. Outstanding. Really outstanding, KB. His name... I'll read you his description. Hello, my name is Mr. Smooth. Not a whole lot (laughs) known about me, as I came to the RSPCA as a straight. So I'm going to need a new home that has experience with dogs and is prepared to handle anything that may happen in my new home. Uh, Mr. Smooth. Mr. Smooth. We, we weren't get, so Clem and I both believe very strongly in giving dogs human names because it helps humans to empathize with them and treat them as, as you know, proper creatures rather than objects, right? Which is important because you shouldn't treat your pets as though they're things you should treat them as though they're their own little sentient beings uh and so we've given him a name uh and i see th- i feel like your mother would really approve of this kieran because we, we noticed as he was running around in the rspca he he loved to he wanted to go everywhere so we thought we'd name him after a famous explorer let um, me have a that yeah you can have a I'm guess thinking, i'm thinking so I'm, I'm thinking it's got to be a trans tasman explorer that's a good guess 
So I'm going to go with Sir Joseph Banks. Oh, good guess. Good from you, <laughs> not Not Sir Joseph Banks. Not Sir Joseph Banks. Very good, though. Um, Kieran, I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you a guess because I'll give you the, the hint is that your mother would definitely approve of this naming. I'm sort of leaning towards Shackleton. Yeah. Uh, uh, Ernest. Oh boy, Ernest. I should know this. Yeah, Ernest baby. Shackleton. Yeah. So you've named it Ernest, or you've named it Shackleton, or you've named Ernest. And so we just to yep. tag back because this is the most beautiful segue. I looked up. I looked up. Mr. Smooth, right, on the internet before the podcast, and I discovered, I'm going to send you guys a link, there is a Mr. Smooth, right? There is a, there is a Mr. Smooth um, in the world of professional golf commentary, and his name is Ernie Johnson Jr. Well, it all ties together. It all ties together so beautifully. We didn't know this, but um, he commentates like medium-level medium level, uh, golf. He's a golf commentator. So what I thought was, for our David Mitchell challenge, just to segue straight uh, in there, we could tip some golf because I believe things are starting to kick back up, and they have just announced that the um, they have just announced that the European, uh, the British Masters, is is going to go ahead in July. Apparently, just on that, apparently yeah. book went through the roof for playing golf. In Australia, when lockdown yeah. kind of eased, I'm sure it was the same in Christchurch and across New Zealand as well. But yeah. like, if you like, if you hadn't already pre-booked, you didn't have a hope of getting on the course for about two weeks. I mean, that makes sense. That makes sense. I think a lot of people yeah. were just uh, doing their Zoom meetings or their, uh, you know, Microsoft Teams meetings from the back nine, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah. So our David Mitchell challenge for you is you have to go through the list and you have to choose a player in the British Masters and the person who picks the the player who does the best will uh, will, will award points like four, three, two, one, I guess. I've already got my name. You've already got yours? Okay. Who are you tipping for the British Masters? I'm going in category four. For Guido Migliozzi from Italy. <laughs> what a name. Right. I, I've already picked mine as well, actually. I, from the Royal Adelaide Golf Club in Category 3, I'm, I'm going with the Australian Wade Ormsby. And I'm picking him because he is he has the last same last name as my first girlfriend at university. Thoughts from you, KB? Um, the, the, the one that stuck out for me, here's the thing that the list of names is divided into a whole bunch of categories. Um, now I'm not, I'm not going to pretend to uh, know even in the slightest what any of those categories mean. Um, I think in, in situations like this, not unlike people choosing a Melbourne cup horse, I think you've just got to go with your gut. You got to pick a name, you got to pick a color, you got to pick a country that, that stands out for you. And I'm attracted to Graham Storm. Graham Storm, what a name. The Graham Storm. Storm, but he's in Category 4A, Medical Extension. Yeah, see, I don't know if that means that he's um, really bad or if he's wounded or injured or maybe he's got some sort of disability. He's on his own. He's English. His name's Graham Storm. I hope that's his real name. I'm going for him. 
I like I, it. I was also tempted to go for Sami Valimaki, who's in category three, mostly because apparently he's, he's Finnish and he plays for the Nokia River Golf Club. Oh, yeah. Nokia. Yeah, yeah. So this is because there's a place in Finland, I presume, called Nokia. Yes, you're a big Nokia fan. There's also, just going through some of the exciting names, there's also um, Robert Rock, who is also English. And his listed club, <laughs> his listed club, because it says the name and the club, their home club, I suppose, that where they where they play, his home club is the Robert Rock Golf Academy. <laughs> so the dude's listed at his own golf club that presumably he owns as his home club. How good. How good. Oh, there's some great names in here. I mean, if you've got a bit of oh. time, dealers, have a look yeah. through. Have a look through the old... Um... There's an, another English guy in Category 14, Richard Bland. <laughs> oh, Great stuff. And then down in down in category number sixteen, a couple of Australians and a couple of South Koreans. I mean, you've got Kyung Jun Moon. <laughs> but then above that, this is legitimate Ma- Maverick Antcliffe. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that is a strong name. I kind of wish I'd seen Maverick Antcliffe earlier. I just hope he does well. You can change if you want to, KB. I mean, that's... that's no, that's no. You, oh, no, you never change your mind. It always comes back to bite you. Yeah, true. Well, we'll look forward to that. That's kicking off uh, in the middle of July, so a little bit of water under the bridge, but um, but there we go. I, I will quickly update, if you are interested, the uh, the David Mitchell standings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, record, we last recorded uh, two months ago, in fact, at the sort of start of the COVID-19 carnage. Um, and because more or less all sports had been cancelled, we bet on a uh, marble race. And fair to say, the five of us, actually, including Clem, all did pretty well. Um, we all, our marbles all came in the top half of the finishing standings. Um, but the points allocated for whoever, I mean, Cal, you weren't far off nabbing a gold medal. Um, but the points for that go uh, Cal four, and then me, and then Eric, and then Big Dog, and then Clem. Had you told me that of all the sports to get up and firing straight away earliest, if you told me it would be the rugby league, <laughs> I would have just gone, there's no chance. Well, to be, to be fair, the NRL are used to hosting matches in front of low crowds or no crowds. So, you know, not that much of a, uh, not that much of a stretch for them to work out how to play matches in front of no people. And that comes you know. from a rugby league fan too. I like rugby league. I, I do like the game. But you know, just like a bit of a smear on the game. <laughs> well, I just the thing that grates me about the NRL and rugby league in general is their insistence of this unofficial tagline that their game—they call it the greatest game of all, or variations thereof—which I think, when you look at the crowd numbers, they've got nothing to back that up. They say it's a worldwide sport. It's not. It's played by three countries. It's it's a it's a sport for big dumb morons mostly battering rams and the fords and it's not really that well supported you know when you consider that it's not even the main form of sport of rugby sport of in rugby. any of the three main countries that it's playing <laughs> no it's not the main rugby sport in the united kingdom it's not the main rugby sport in Ireland, and it's not even the main football sport in australia <laughs> but it's the greatest game of all greatest yeah. game of all 
When the two biggest um, Melbourne AFL clubs play each other, I mean, you could probably interchange a couple of clubs, but let's say Collingwood Carlton gets the biggest crowds. Although Richmond these days would be would be such big ticket items. You know, you're looking at 70, 70 80,000. The biggest inter-club NRL matches, which let's say it's, you know, like the Bunnies versus the Roosters or whatever, you know, they're lucky if they get 15,000, 20,000. This, this contention that rugby league is the greatest game is just, uh, it's so, it's so... Um, They've just got their blinkers on about how good and popular their game is. Don't get me wrong, I love rugby league. I like watching it. The Warriors got up. They played it really well, you know, and good and good for them for getting back on the field. If we're going to talk about that, I actually want to bring up a bone. My bone is with Channel Nine. Oh, here we go. And now, it might not to be fair to Channel Nine, it might not be their fault. It might actually be Fox Footy's fault. But you can't actually watch any of these rugby league matches on free-to-air. So the season has kicked back into gear again, but you can't watch it on free-to-air. Are they normally broadcast free-to-air? Channel 9. Used to have 9's Friday night and Saturday night football. Now, we had the Broncos playing the Raiders in the first match. Oh, no, sorry. Broncos playing... The Eels. Eels, pardon me. Yep. Up in Brisbane. Wasn't on TV. Unless you've got Foxtel. And then the Raiders versus the Storm, which was last night, not on TV. So my bone is is with that. Because obviously they've had to renegotiate all their all their broadcast rights. Yeah, I, I think that and I think Channel Nine went in playing some pretty hard ball. You know, they wanted a massive discount. They wanted to tear up all the existing contracts. I mean, not that I would consider NRL necessarily to be a golden egg, but Channel 9 just seemed intent on killing the goose. It's like if the NRL didn't get back on the field with some sort of broadcast money, it was could quite easily have gone bankrupt, and then that's the end of it. You've got nothing to, to play next year, the year after that, the year after that. So you're right, I am abs- in absolute agreement with your bone there, Big Doe, that Channel 9, I think, have handled themselves very poorly... And at the end of it, Fox Footy have come in and said, well, we'll take it. And you're right. It's robbing everyday Australians of free-to-air sport. Greatest game of all. And the greatest game of all, now not being able to be watched by all. And you're right. That's that's ridiculous. Victoria, it's not exactly rugby league heartland. You wouldn't get a lot of games, but you would get a Saturday night and a Friday night game. So, mm. you know, you wouldn't yeah. expect to get a match, but you don't get anything. So... Yeah, I don't know with like if that bone is fully directed at Channel Nine or just. No, it should be. I think it should be. Yeah, because yep. something something's gone wrong there, big time. They were very. I thought they were very heavy-handed in their approach to the NRL. Um, mm. From from the reports that I read and and because here's the thing, you know, the NRL heavy-handed, not unlike the deli person who made your bagel there. <laughs> <laughs> Fascinating visuals from you there, Big Dog. What's going on? Yeah, Big Dog's just going for a walk. I'm running low on battery on my phone because I, I am podcasting off my iPhone. So I'm having to re-plug back in. So I'm just... It's an extreme close-up. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, cracking stuff there. The remote podcasting going very very well as big dog is moving around each room in his house um to to really knuckle down now you're in the bed hey it's, it's the cat 
So now we've got two cats. Hey, Malcolm, how you doing, mate? He's asleep. Malcolm's got a bad, bad habit at the moment of vomiting. Oh, well, that is, that is gross. He took one look at the camera and was like, nah, not interested. Back to sleep. I think he's under the weather. I'm not quite sure what's going on with him. Oh, he's, a, he's a cat. He's probably just asleep. They sleep. What do they sleep? 18 hours a day? It's crazy. Um, don't know what you're drinking, fellas, but um, just to, to move the chat towards the glorious conversation that is beer. Um, but I'm I'm uh, nibbling on a, a a Moa milk chocolate stout. Oh yeah. Um, Has this got some sort of ridiculous tie-in with Whitakers or the Wellington uh, chocolate? Lewis Road Creamery. Lewis Road Creamery. I, I knew it. See. <laughs> Who are famous for their ludicrous chocolate milk, which is a time with Whitakers. So you're, you're absolutely bang on the money there. I'm not a massive fan usually of, of Moa Brewing, um, only because this is a New Zealand-owned, New Zealand-operated company that's named after one of our most exciting native birds, the Moa. Um, and a few years ago, they got Shane Warne on board as a spokesman, and I was outraged. <laughs> you just don't do that. You're a New Zealand company. Oh, wow. You don't get that absolute donkey. You do not get that donkey on your side. And people were, as you can imagine here in New Zealand, outraged. Would you? Would, okay, so would you get someone who has dubious dual nationality type linkage? I'm thinking someone like a Russell Crowe who was born in New Zealand but raised in Australia or possibly a, um, who else? Sam Neill. Yes. Good. Well, he, I mean, he's basically a New Zealand resident these days. He's a, he's, he's a New Zealander, full stop. Yeah, you're right. Russell Crowe's a bit more, is a bit trickier because I think Russell, Russell Crowe, I think, considers himself to be Australian. But you're right. Sam Neill is born and raised Lived in Melbourne, did some great work there. But you're right, he lives in a winery in Queenstown. It sounds like this brewery, what's it called again? Uh, Moa. Moa. Named after the giant flightless bird, now extinct. Yeah, right. A cracking bird. I feel like you think, though, that Moa, the brewery company, are a bit bit douchey. They're, you know, they're a bit, you know, they're a bit... They're a little bit corporate. They've got a corporate vibe. I'm getting douchey. And the Shane, the Shane, the Shane Warne thing was just unacceptable. Let's say, like, because I guess, like, they must have had to have, like, because Shane Warne is a mercenary bloke. They must have had to have paid him a reasonable amount of money to do that. I can understand, right, if you could get someone to spruik your, your your beer for free who was a controversial character who was just going to create a bit, of, a bit of storm. But they must have, that must have been a calculated and conscious business decision to do that because you, would, you wouldn't get Shane Warne being a spokesperson for your beer for nothing, because he's a mercenary. I mean, he's disliked in Australia. You can imagine what people think of him here. Oh, no, no, I wouldn't say he's... Come on, let's, I wouldn't say he's necessarily categorically disliked. I think there's a lot of people who dislike him in Australia, certainly not as many people as who like dislike him in New Zealand. I think people respect him as a cricketer but don't like him as a as a figurehead. Yeah, but, but for every person who doesn't like Warney, there's a bloke who plays grade cricket who thinks he's the greatest thing ever. Warney? Well, that that's 50-50, which means that there's there's 10 million people that don't like Shane Warne, plus another 5 million over here. It's a bit like where we are in the world with, not to get into politics, but it's a bit the same, you know. You think, that, well, how can everyone like this person? And there seems to be a lot of people who are like, 
You know who seems sorts. very popular at the moment? Uh, and I'd be interested in your take on this from over the ditch, KB. Um, Jacinda Ardern seems to have achieved the greatest popularity of um, any New Zealand leader ever. Oh, well, she's doing, yeah, she's doing, I mean, how, you know, a true test of leadership is a crisis. That's sort of the old-fashioned adage. And she's, her handling of the COVID-19 crisis over here has been impeccable. She's shown clear, decisive leadership. Her communication with the nation has, has been excellent. She does she does daily briefings. I've been here for two months. I think she stopped doing the daily briefings maybe a week ago. You know, she's worked every day for two months. You know, she doesn't just turn up, read the briefing off a script and then go home. Um, you know, you, you, you look to your leaders to be beacons of, of clarity and communication during a crisis, and she's been that. There's still plenty of people that don't necessarily agree with her politics. Um... But at the end of the day, her handling of, of the situation has been more or less impeccable. The, the leader of the opposition, who's an absolute goon sack, he, he's just been firing shots left, right and centre. And the New Zealand public just said, why are you doing that? You're just being an idiot. Like, now's not the time for politics. And of course, he wants to play politics because he's getting smashed in the polls. And then the other week, they got rid of him sort of Australian style, just get rid of the really? guy coming into an election. Yeah, because he was an idiot. He was just, he was just a, an attack dog. No personality, did he? He was a really yeah. cynical kind nah. of... So that, his, his, his unpopularity, coupled with her popularity and the way that she handled it, they're almost certainly going to hose into the next election. And, and, and rightly so. Big Dog, what are you drinking? Look, I'm not being as splashy as you guys. Oh, <laughs> Oh, Furphy. He's on the oh, dirty look, I, I don't mind the old dirty Furphy. Dirty Furphy can in an Omeo, Dirty is right. High country rodeo. Oh, the Omeo rodeo. Been there. Yeah. How good. Have you been? Oh, yeah, you went with me. Yeah, we went to the rodeo in Omeo. Absolutely. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Um, we in a Dr. Zeus story? <laughs> no. The Omeo rodeo is actually a legitimate thing. <laughs> I can back, back dog up on that. I've been there. You were invited, KB, but you didn't come. No, I'm not surprised. Easter Saturday mm-hmm. every year. Except that's, for uh, this, that's when we got this. Except for this year. No, that was at the races. That was on the No, races. I know. I know. That was the races. But it was the same weekend, Big Dog. Same weekend. Big weekend same down weekend, yeah. in Mando, East Gippsland. So yeah. on Easter Saturday, Omeo holds the Rodeo. And on Easter Sunday, Swifts Creek, which is the town that I'm from, Host the Tambo Valley Race Club, one of only <laughs> two race meets in Australia on Easter Sunday. Serious gambling going on, and we're t- there is, and we're talking about horse racing with maybe sometimes only three horses in a race, and you can still bet <laughs> for a place. <laughs> but it's not. Yeah, yeah, it is a very. It's a very low key affair. It's fun. I did, I did. Oh, well, not, not so much anymore, Cal. It's been a while since you've no. been, but like in the last five years, it's exploded. We now have over 2,000 <laughs> people attend. Attend the Omeo Rodeo. Oh, the Rodeo. The Omeo Rodeo has, oh, it has a couple of thousand easy. Yeah, so it's actually, it's pretty, it's, it's a pretty big weekend there. So, and but the rodeo is like, it, it's a funny thing, the old rodeo, because you do see some pretty heavy duty stuff there 
You can see yeah. guys and girls get injured there, but you can also see some pretty bad injuries to to horses and stuff there too. So it's, it, I mean, it is pretty full on. Like it's the mm. real deal. <laughs> For some reason, I feel better about like I, I am not. I'm not in favor of 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 like big rate like the spring racing carnival. And I know, Kieran, you you, you require a lot of uh, a lot of wealth, personal wealth, out of of working at the spring racing carnival. Oh, it doesn't mean I like it. Yeah, philosophically, I'm opposed to it. But I, for some reason, I sort of I have less objection to country races because it feels like well, they do uh, maybe want... I'm speaking from a place of ignorance. It, it feels like less of a, an, a a giant corporate monstrosity and money well, making. It does. It does a lot for the community, Cal. So that's what people I think can appreciate about a small local race. Mate, everybody tries to make it sure it goes off without a hitch, and nobody wants yeah. to see it get hurt or anything like that. Well, yeah, and it's a small bone that I have. I have a little bone. Well, uh, chicken wing. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was so I was driving. I, I we've helped Katie and Evie, friends Katie and Evie uh, of Welsh ladies rugby and soccer fame they've just moved around the corner from us and um whilst moving i've driven past past your neck of the woods Gabby. oh yeah where we go up to westbourne road and I, I as a result i've driven past flemington Racecourse a number of times mm. and i have a bone to pick because yep. on the front of flemington Racecourse, the, the main entrance there where the big roundabout is they've got this self-serving smug bloody corporate corporate institutions trying to pretend that they give a shit about people message saying our thoughts and prayers are with the victorian people at this very trying time and from all your friends here at flemington and then it's sponsored by the victorian racing so cynical hate it i i did not appreciate their attempt to seem like some sort of civic institution rather than the cynical money-grabbing bastards that they indubitably are. Yeah, I my theory on the Melbourne Cup is um, in, in the, I think when we're all uh, 85, 90 years old in the rest home dribbling into our uh, hot Milo. Sounds like having a hot Milo in a nursing home. That sounds like a luxury. This is the dystopian future, big dog. Anything's possible. My theory eventually is that the tide will turn against horse racing and eventually it'll be eradicated and then the vrc will be like what on earth are we going to do with all this plush prime inner west city land so here's my here's my theory imagine it right how what year are we now so let's say 50 years so let's say melbourne cup 2080 the track is now an artificial river the melbourne cup jet ski race in the middle of the racetrack, large, looming Hong Kong, Tokyo-style apartment buildings. Everyone gets the same jet ski, so that it's a question of skill. And then they have to dress up in silly costumes. So, like, you might be... You can still bet on it. You can still go and watch it. You can still drink. You can still wear a tuxedo and a fancy ball gown and have a great time and then spew up into your, you know, your fancy high heels and all that sort of... You can still do all of that except you're betting on a jet ski race. You know, you might be betting on a guy dressed as a leopard. You know. <laughs> Roy Harmison in, in the in the leopard is the guy that you want to bet on. I'll, I'll yeah. take it one step further. I'd expect nothing less. Okay, let's, yeah. let's imagine the horse racing part is done. Is now a jet ski race. Great. But here's the twist. It's a jet ski race done by horses. <laughs> 
I mean, big dog, big dog. If you could make that happen, you are a genius. Um, how good would that be? <laughs> would would that not require training the horses? to such a level that it would be equally as inhumane. Is it inhumane to teach a horse to ride a jet ski? Or do you think it's something that they might naturally gravitate to? The answer is quite possibly yes. Well, not to get into a political thing about it, but horses naturally like to run as well. So there'd be people who would argue that horse racing is a natural extension of what some horses would like to do. Oh, no, no, no. Look, I, and I, I don't, personally, I don't have any problem with the, yeah, the pure concept of horse racing. I have a problem with the horse racing industry. Horse yeah, racing industry like, is a, like is every industry, it needs to clean yeah. itself. But yeah, yeah it's, I think, it's, um, there's nothing wrong with there's nothing theoretically wrong with people riding horses around a track. That 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 in and of itself is not necessarily bad. Horses, and I I hundred percent agree with you guys. Like as soon as horses get mistreated or get kicked to the curb, that's absolutely important. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah, but. Yeah. Having said that, I do think there is a market for teaching horses to learn how to race jet skis. I really do. <laughs> I personally... What, what about, like, um, do horses swim? Can horses swim? You can lead a horse to water, but you can't teach it how to jet ski. You could get, like, a sort of a, um, like, harness racing, except instead of the harness and the wheeled sort of chariot thing, the horse is swimming, and then the guy's behind in like a, a rubber donut, just like saying, come on, horsey, <laughs> swim faster. I mean, surely you'd actually... run into all the sort of same sort of problems, wouldn't you? I mean, you probably would. Gee, it would be bumpy for the for the person on the donut at the back after the horse yeah. is trying to splash its way through the water. It'd be a rough ride on that. Well, that's where you start. At, you're adding in the element of, you know, there's a skill of the driver, not necessarily to um, whip or encourage the horse to go faster. The skill of this version of horse racing is just to stay on the donut. You're actually forcing the, uh, forcing the jockey into a different skill set, which is more more of an aquatic base, which in a global warming future, it seems appropriate that the Melbourne Cup would be held around water. Yeah. Very topical. I feel like we're veering sort of very firmly into <laughs> Japanese game show territory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The best kind. With the, with the people trying to climb up the slippery, the, the giant inflatable slide and trying to get to the top, yeah. like poking them with sticks to try and get them back down. If we're insistent that the future of the Melbourne Cup is, is not to include any sort of actual equine, um, I think the, the next step is to just dress people in horses and make them do something silly. I think that is that has got to be the future. And then we just let horses run around in the paddocks and have a good time. Whilst, you know, 15 munters get into a horse costume and jet ski around the Flemington track, which I, I'm all in for that. Absolutely all in. Mm-hmm. Nice. I like it. Strong. Well, that's my vision. That's my vision for the future, fellas. You know, you're welcome to a, you're welcome to get into it if you want. <laughs> it, sounds, it, it, it sounds to me that kind of vision sounds a bit more, more like the horses are in charge and the, and the humans are kind of like, they're the ones kind of getting bashed and crashed about it, it, with, the, with the rubber with the rubber tube all that sort of that, mm-hmm. that sounds like kind of like a planet of the apes type scenario with <laughs> it's like planet of the horses have you ever watched wipeout the tv show wipeout oh, people getting people people getting smashed over water is great entertainment very entertaining very entertaining 
It's one of the few reality shows that I can stomach. Mostly because it's just batshit crazy. It's what I can't stomach, though, is the commentator. <laughs> On that show. It's pretty it's pretty cheesy. Yeah, and I mean I get that, but by God do they actually like there is not there is no level of cheese factor that they won't go to on that show. <laughs> yeah, and they seem surprised that these people keep getting like smashed by a uh, obstacle course that is designed to smash people. <laughs> oh, he's taken a tumble. Of course he has. That's the point of the show. And then the sound effects that they add in as well, they don't need that. <laughs> There's a lot of TV shows that you can mute to make them better. Cooking shows. I don't need to hear dramatic music and, you know, sob stories whilst whilst someone is chopping an onion. Do you know why they're crying? Because they're chopping an onion. <laughs> Or because they're on a cooking show. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I, I can't handle cooking shows. I hate. No, they're rubbish. Absolutely rubbish. If you can cook a pavlova, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> the only good cooking show is a show called Cutthroat Kitchen, which is a show and it's 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 entertaining. It's comedic because what you what you're doing is you're having to cook a dish. But at the start of each round, you're allowed to bet on, like, impediments to give the other contestants. So, like, you might be... So, so you start with... I think they start with, like, $50,000. And you and they auction off impediments in each... So there's three rounds. And then at the end of each round, the person... That, and then, But the, the judge who does the tasting has no idea what the impediments are. So, like, they might be asked to bake a, you know, bake a cake. Um, and one of the impediments is you're not allowed to use flour or eggs. So someone will will gamble, will, will, will auction, uh, gamble some of their prize money to make sure that that guy can't use flour or eggs. And then it's absolutely ridiculous things like one hand tied behind your back. Oh, it's a great show. And because you miss subtle ingredients... The food tastes like shit. Yeah, and then they get a professional judge in, like a chef, and like the chef obviously knows the construct of the show, but they're told just to judge the food on its merits. And sometimes the food is awful, and they're like, they're like, yeah, this tuna salad doesn't really taste like it has any tuna in it. And then the person that had the impediment that they weren't allowed to use tuna or something just has to stand there and go, yeah, no tuna. That was that was tough. <laughs> It's great. Because at the end of the day, I don't believe cooking is dramatic. It's just not. Cooking should be fun, and this show amplifies the fun. Cutthroat Kitchen, get it down, yeah. Yeah, uh, any show, though, that Mm. demoralizes a person's cooking confidence is all right with me. (laughs) And if it goes to the fact that you have to actually, like, withhold ingredients from them to make them feel like crap about their dishes, I'm all right with that. Have you just bought shares in Hungry Jacks or something? What's going on there? Why don't you want people cooking? I just, I, I just loathe these shows where people cook a pavlova and then have a cry, have an emotional kind of moment. <laughs> oh, absolute agreed. Yeah. You know, when I see that, I kind of wish they just someone would pick up that pavlova and throw it in their face. Like, I'm, I'm, right, I'm, I just, I just, I just looked it up. There's apparently this. 15 seasons of Cutthroat Kitchen, KB. Yeah, it's it, they, uh, there used to be a, a channel on free-to-air. I don't know if it's still there. It was either called the Food Network. I think they rebranded as like SBS Food or something like that. Um, but they used to play it on that all the time. 
well worth a look, Cutthroat Kitchen, if you um, if you if you like your cooking a little bit more entertaining and a little bit less sad because you're cooking a pavlova that your dear old uncle Uncle Jerry once cooked when you were five years old. Boo hoo! Why are you cutting onions and crying? It's a pavlova. Stop it, you idiot! <laughs> Also, what are you doing putting onions in your pavlova? You're obviously a terrible cook. Your Uncle Jerry didn't teach you anything. You should have spent more money to not have to include onions. You can heavily caramelise them. If you cook them for long enough, they get sweet enough. I reckon they you could maybe get them sweet enough to put in a pav. I mean, you probably could. That's maybe a conversation conversation for another time. Delicious. Oh, oh. hello, cat. Big Dog's showing us... A, uh, this is the thing, Big Dog. This is an audio podcast. You're showing us a video of your cat cleaning itself. Uh, my cat's just... Um, Can we see Richie? Where's... Yeah, Richie's over there. Richie! Glad, glad we could seg away there just for a little bit of brief cat content that no one's going to be able to see. Maybe we'll put up pictures of our cats uh, on, on the internet. Nice. Use your imagination. Richie's a black cat. What colour is... What colour would you describe Malcolm as? Champagne. Champagne? I would say cappuccino. <laughs> Cappuccino. Or a weak or a weak latte. Yeah, that kind of like light light sort of light brown, slightly caramelly. Yeah, Malcolm's got to touch the weak latte about him. A hazelnut or, a hazelnut cappuccino. Also yeah. came from the lost dog's home. Oh yeah? Mm. He really was lost then if he ended up at the lost dog's home. <laughs> I originally had the name as well, Saki. As in Japanese Saki. rice wine. Mm, that was his. That was his name. I mean, that's not bad. I, I, if you got sake, that the colour of Malcolm, I think you'd be asking um, about the brewing process. Sake shouldn't be that dark. M- and more of a milky white, clear sort of palette, colour palette. That is Malcolm's. Malcolm's an odd choice for a cat name, but it works. Mm-hmm. I mean, Richie, Richie's no better. So there we go. It's worth noting, though, at the time, perhaps in telling the story, is that. Malcolm's name actually comes from the fact that the Prime Minister at the time was Malcolm Turnbull. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah. To all the conservatives out there, I guess that's one for you. But I guess, I, I don't know, the name Malcolm just kind of works. Well, I, I, when I think of Malcolm, I think of that great Australian film from the late 80s. Oh, great film with Colin Friels. Yes, yeah, oh, what a film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's an absolute cracker. Has a scene in it where he's driving a car that splits in that two. Splits in half. Place. How good? Yes, very good. I remember that. That's uh, that's um. Watch it, KB. It's good. All right, I'll put it on my list. All right. Well, that's uh, that brings the end of this uh, exciting experimental digital trans Tasman Barry Bullockauer to a close. Episode thirty-five. We've got the C Mac, the big dog, and the little dog making a uh, an audio appearance just briefly at the end here his first appearance on the podcast hopefully not his last once he's uh, once he's once he's stringing some sentences together i'd love to hear some junior dog wisdom let's see if the little man is a chip off the old block yeah well the, don't ask i've got to a bone it. to pick with my kindergarten i've got a bone to pick with my dad he's a no hang on <laughs> there'll be no beer tasting for him there'll be no there'll be no taste there'll be no, no. just a nice nice chocolate nice chocolate milk maybe a straw all right cracking stuff fellas we'll, uh, we'll end it there shall we episode 35 in the can uh, we will probably try and do this again this time next month um, but it should be an absolute ripper 
All right, fellas, good to see you. Yeah, Let's see you, baby. Paul. All right. See you, big dog. See you, little dog. See you, guys. All right, see you soon. Bye. Bye. We got, we got, we got one out of them. That was good.